Hey now, it's Central Division. I'm David Coggins with my good friend Michael Williams. This week, we have a special guest. It's Randy Goldberg, one of the world's great people, and he and Michael are going to talk about the history of the pop-up flea. Hey now, it's Central Division. I'm David Coggins with my good friend Michael Williams. Hi, Michael. What's up, David? I'm wearing sweatpants. Oh, God, of course. I, I don't know if I'm happy to have said that or not happy to have said that, but we've got a very special show today. Uh, we've got a great guest, one of my favorite people, one of our oldest friends. It's Randy Goldberg. Hey, Randy. Hello. What's, happy to be here. Randy, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm, I, I was thinking about wading in on this sweatpant topic from your last show. Uh, <laughs> Please do. What, what's I, your take? Well, first I saw the photo of, of, that you posted of Ronald Reagan wearing sweatpants, but a, a shirt and tie. And this brings back my, my dad would come home from work, take off his suit pants, put on sweatpants and tuck his dress shirt back into it every night. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm on board for this. So yeah, I'm, I'm pro sweatpants. In the right circumstance. Have you ever done that? I think that's good for Duke, Randy's dad. I think I think it ends. I, I, I think it ends there. I think that's a one-time, you know, example. Kind of like Marcel Duchamp and the uh, the urinal is a piece of art. Once it's done correctly, one time, then you can move on. Um, but we're not going to talk about uh, sweatpants. We're going to talk about the pop-up flea. Uh, a, a little history with the two men who started it. One is Randy, the other is Michael. So it's good that you're both here. The, uh, the, it's the interview no one has been dying to do. <laughs> That's right. Well, no, it starts on with the, the record. Three of us. It doesn't need to exist. <laughs> it starts with the three of us are curious. I'm curious because it's it started. I ju- we just realized in 2009. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. 2009. And so why don't we catch up on the history of it and then we'll talk about how it developed and then we can also deal with themes of retail, all sorts of other stuff that that matters in the world today. But that was a very specific thing, a specific time in New York and and an idea that you had. How How did it come about? What was going on in your lives? Maybe just, Randy, you can start... What were you doing with Michael at the time in your own life? Now people know you as a a, a sock mogul, but it was it was different back then. Yeah, it was it was very different back then. Um, so Michael and I met, um, I guess, in the first wave menswear blog of blog wave of 2007, something like that. Michael Michael had sent me an email. I was working for a, a publication called Urban Daddy at the time. Um, it was like a menswear newsletter and. We had started a, a blog called Kemp, um, which was named, you know, the opposite of unkempt. Anyway, Michael was good at reaching out to people who had very small publications and asking them like, hey, would you mind reposting a story? Or I like what you're doing. We became fast friends and we met up in real life. And um, Were you underwhelmed the way everybody else? He always talks about people meeting him and, and not it's not what he's not I what present, you expect. I present well on email. I I have seen many people approach Michael very nervously at the pop-up play (laughs) over the years. We're very whelmed by Michael. Yeah, Um, whelmed. He was tempted and whelmed. And then then you've seen them walk away and shake their heads and say, that guy is a fucking loser. (laughs) So Michael go, that was awkward. Yeah. So 2009. So... So you're, you, you knew each other from, uh, so you internet. know each other then, yeah, from the internet. And then, and then what, what happened? Well, how did, what, what happened from there? Uh, well, we met up for uh, a meal, a meal of food. I think we went for pork buns, um, at a Pudo. <laughs> we, we started talking about stores that we like and don't like. And I think we quickly realized that 
you know, maybe there wasn't the, the store that we both want to shop at in New York at the time. Um, and we kind of had a similar perspective on brands that we loved. And uh, our first idea was let's open a store. And then we said, no, that's a, a horrible idea. Like we have jobs. We can't do that. And then, you know, Michael said, Hey, what if we opened a store for a weekend? Uh, great. So let's, it was, a, this was also, I want to let Randy do most of the talking here and I'll, I'll chime in occasionally. Um, cause I think everyone hears enough of, of me every week. Um, and I, at the time though, it was because it was, in the middle of this recession and the economic crisis was sort of going on, nothing new was happening in New York at that moment too. And I think I, I remember, and I, it's, I remember that conversation at that meal, which is interesting because I don't, well, there's a lot of situations where I probably wouldn't have that of a detailed recall of the sort of shaping of that thing. Um, but I just remembered nothing was happening and no stores were opening. Everything was closing. Nothing was going on. And it was bad kind of dark time. And I, th I think that was like a, a part of it for us too, just doing something at the moment that what seemed possible because a lot of things didn't seem possible, I guess, in that moment. Maybe that's just my memory of it. Right. Just quickly, Michael, what, and what were you doing in about 2008 or, I mean, obviously ACL, but you're, that was just, that's not the only thing you did back then. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of always done the same thing and sort of how I met Randy was a little bit of a hybrid of, or a merging of my careers at that point. What, you know, I, I was doing PR marketing, mostly PR. Um, and I, at that point I had an agency with a partner, um, that I, you know, was involved in for a long time. And that was my sort of main source of income and my main job and focus and everything. Uh, and ACL was very much a side project. And so I was kind of doing PR and that's kind of how I met Randy. And, and one of the ways that I built the blog, although I didn't know I was emailing Randy, I just thought I was sort of pitching in a way. Um, but you know, I, I was just, I, I was just trying to promote my thing. And then, you know, I was kind of doing a couple different things. So I had kind of my hands in a few different businesses, but all like around apparel and Randy worked in media. And I was, I think, an aspiring, per, you know, trying to be in the media mm. at that point to some degree. So what did you, what did you think about for this store that was open for a weekend? Where, where, Randy, what, what happened then that you, uh, did you, did it seem like that made sense right away and you knew exactly how it would be or like, wait a minute, um, we need to find a place who's going to, was it, was it a lightning strike or was it more like, all right, this is interesting. Was it a slow burn? I, I think it was probably more of a, a, of a slow burn. I mean, listen, if we look back on it, we can say, you know, the world hadn't yet really turned on to e-commerce and small brands didn't have a place where they felt like their companies were being properly represented in a store format. Department stores weren't it. Having a, you know, 10 year lease on their own store was prohibitively expensive. They needed something in between the internet was, exploding with menswear, which is a weird thing to say, but it was, and people were interested in meeting the people behind these brands. So mm. we brought all that together. But at the time we were like, well, what would it look like? Where would we put this thing? And my girlfriend at the time worked at an event space and we rented that space from her. It was called <laughs> Open House Gallery. Wait, wait, wait. So we trying to skip some huge... Wait, so Open House Gallery, where, where is it? Is this again? 
it's not grand. It's no, it's on Mulberry. It's oh. a few doors down from where Noah is now. That's right. Uh, oh, yeah. really? Yeah. You, you know, I think if I remember that too, I think we, that was sort of like first base was like the idea. Second base was like, Randy's like, I'm, um, you know, we could maybe do this at open house and we have an in there and it's interesting like that the space is what enabled us to actually move forward with it in earnest and the space is the thing that sort of defined it all along um mm. it's not what made it successful but it, it shaped it i think more than anything else for sure you know so did you have an idea of who i mean it, we have to go back to say i mean it's so funny you're talking about kemp and acl if you wanted to find out about these things, you had to go to sites that posted once a day or twice a week. There's no Instagram. There's no, you don't see photos of, and, and the lookbooks aren't getting dropped and you're not seeing videos and behind the scene. I mean, it was such a different, you had to work so much harder to find way less than you find now. It, it, and it, it was a different, it was a different moment too. And it, and it was mostly, I think you were doing the work as opposed to some algorithm that Facebook right. had designed to route all the traffic was doing all the work, you know? Um, so it, did it was, you have ideas what brands you wanted? I'm sorry. I, I mean, it's, yeah. so, it's exciting. So what was the, what, what was the, uh, who, who, who is, who are the obvious, uh, heavy hitters then, or, or, uh, you know, eighth place hitters, if they didn't have their own store, <laughs> you can, you can, jump in there, Randy, if you want to feel that, or I can, you know, do whatever. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you, if you look at the, the, the vendors that we ended up with in that first year, and it was June of 2009. So we got this together pretty quickly. And, uh, the vendor list was ether, um, Alexander West, who was a custom shirt maker, a pre who was, you know, mentions right down the road from Noah, that was Brendan Babenzian's sneaker company, maybe post Supreme or on the side. I'm not really sure. Yeah. It was on the, while he was at Supreme, he was doing that. Yeah. So he came in and just taped a bunch of sneakers to the wall. Um, there was also Billy Kirk who was, I think the, the heart and the heart and soul of pop-up flea from the first show to the last, uh, Gittman brothers, Hatton, which was a hat company using menswear fabrics to make baseball hats. And that was a collaboration between Aaron Levine, our good friend, oh. and Ian Velarde, our other good oh, friend. Oh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, who now works okay. at Bombas. Um, and then McNary was there selling some weird vintage stuff and some, I don't know, creations. Um <laughs> Olch was there, Alex Olch, uh, with his Thai brand. Uh, One Trip Pass, which was Ooh, nice. Jake Carroll's like road trip through the desert like vintage shop that he set up for the first time at Pop-Up Flea, which led to a bunch of other interesting things. Uh, CHCM, uh, which is Sweet Two's store, oh, um, currently nice. still on Bond Street. Best men's shop in New York, maybe. Um, but they were an early vendor. 316, still an amazing brand. And then Ohio Knitting Mills. I think that was it. Wow. Am I missing anything, Michael? No, I, I, it's funny because I think we looked back at the... Randy and I, I think more so than any... Just the way we did this, we have better records of this than probably anything I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also because it was one weekend usually, so it would just go into this Google Doc and or this like spreadsheet, and then we just basically 
every year we'd add new ones and they all stayed in there. So, but I looked back, I think between we can get to it, but at one point I think we were missing one event in there somehow. Cause oh, I remember, really? I remember, I think this second, so we'll, we'll get to it. I mean, I think like the, we sort of had this idea, you know, and we still have all the pricing in that Google doc of what everything was. Right. And the first year, these brands are paying like 300 bucks, you know, to be a part of it. <laughs> Seriously, 300 bucks. I think we made like 854 <laughs> bucks or something all in. Um, and, you know, but we got a good deal on the space. And I remember it being I like a, it. a whole thing, like to negotiate the space and, yeah they gave us a lot of grief because they're, you know, they're like, is this going to be cool? And you know, what is this thing? I also remember us trying to figure out the name before it. Oh man. And we yeah. just couldn't, what, I still what, what don't were think some I, of the finalists. I don't know. We probably have that doc too. Somewhere. <laughs> probably somewhere. Probably a Google doc. I mean, Cafe select was also there selling food and drinks. And then Great. I remember every night they would take everything back to the rest, walk it back to the restaurant from <laughs> the space. And we're like, they can leave it here overnight. The whole thing was so new that people just didn't really know how to do it. There was also no Wi-Fi at that time. <laughs> so like, not like, in a space like that, that we gave out for all the vendors, there was an internet issue. So most people bought stuff with cash and we had to oh get an God. ATM stocked with cash for every pop-up flea. And the ATM and ran out, right? That was the big thing. Yeah. One year the ATM ran out and we were like, <laughs> we're fucking killing it. The ATM <laughs> ran out of money. <laughs> you had to rent the ATM. I feel like open house helped with that or something. I, I, yeah. I mean, if you're in the, if you're in the business of renting people ATMs, like that is, that's, that's another podcast. <laughs> we talked about, but I remember when square came out and Randy sent an email and said like, there's this thing called square and you can take credit cards on your phone. Right. And we're like, you, if you have cellular, you can do it. We don't have wifi in this space. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if it was a separate one and it might have where I feel like I tried to pay for something and the signal wasn't fast enough. So the vendor and I walked outside to swipe the card. I, I don't know right. if that's like a fever dream, but that seems right. That sounds right. That That's basically <laughs> like a microcosm of every probably flea because there'd always be issues like that. Like, critical, you know, critical things that would break down where then they would get really mad. And then they would come up to us and be like, Hey, like, I don't have cell service here. What are you going to do to fix it? And I'm like, I, I literally have no, there's nothing I can do. I have no power. I have no uh, yeah, idea. You're, but, but you were wearing a, uh, a tool belt at the time. So I, that's a logical question for them <laughs> just, to ask you. Just because I'm dressed like an electrician doesn't mean... <laughs> actually wire anything up right so the first so let's say so it's friday to sunday right or was there a thursday night um preview no preview no it's okay so friday so friday night so friday so like you're there obviously it's promoted on uh i guess on on kempt on a continuous lean uh did you what, what was it like the first day was it is it like that first 20 minutes of a party before people show up or or I think the thing that works worked in our favor was that Michael was very good at PR and knew a lot of editors and was able to make calls. And I, watching the pop-up fleet progress over the years, the, the difference about how we promoted it or how we got the word out is really just tracks to how media has changed in the last mm. 10 years. So mm. that first, those first couple of years were all about blogs and then getting a story in 
a magazine. You know, we ended up on the cover of Monocle one year and like this small blurb. We print magazines seemed important to us, but the blogs really drove all the traffic, uh, which was interesting. And we had set it up in a way we didn't want to really do anything. I think this is a key component of pop-ups. <laughs> Michael and I really just wanted to do the, do the bare minimum. Um, so. Which sounds look, bad. Which sounds bad. It does it sound straight, bad? I mean, it's I think, a little you bit, did, but you laid the groundwork. You laid the groundwork, which we was were the creating inspiration. A and then you, and then you wanted to. Um, we uh, were I, empowering I, these brands. Basically <laughs> for a Friday morning, you would load in and we would open by 3 PM that day. So Friday morning was a mad dash for everyone to build out their booths. So the brands were responsible for their own booths and their own setup and taking their, taking money and setting prices. One rule we were very clear about is this was not a sale. This was about showcasing what you did in the best mm. possible way, whether mm. it's bringing archives from the past or the entire collection, which you can't see anywhere, a special makeup. And then it would be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we'd load out Sunday night. So when I say we didn't want to do anything, basically we tried to make this feel as homespun and brand run, I guess, as possible. Um, which also helped since we were also, you know, running other jobs. Mm. I mean, I think, it, and I think that us choosing who was there and making it special in terms of the people, the products, the brands made it different because I think a lot of times these types of events ended up being, um, they just kind of ended up being like, here's the link to our site. We don't, we don't sort of filter anything that comes through and you can just sign up and show up and we don't care. And we were like, we, we don't, you can't apply. Like we're going to hopefully ask everyone to join. And initially like we made it really cheap and those people sort of, you know, we used goodwill, our own goodwill and con relationships and connections and, and then we got them to participate. And then they, I think then we had a proof of concept and we got a little bit of traction. I think people had a good experience and, you know, again, because of the barrier cost barrier was inexpensive. They made money. It was worth their time. They're getting exposure and PR and, and selling some stuff and meeting people. And, you know, initially like wholesale buyers would come through and write orders with these people. So it was like half trade show, half mm. sale. And, you know, and I think the biggest, because we couldn't, kind of figure out the name. I think that I remember that first one being feeling very successful. I think it was really slow. Like if we probably went back in hindsight and looked at it, it was fairly, you know, lightly attended, but for us, it felt like a huge win. And then I think because we, the way we named it, it was confusing to people. And I got a lot of grief when I would cover it on ACL. I mean, which is basically like every day, anything, I would get grief about it. Um, but people were mad because they thought it was going to be some vintage cheap thing. And right. then we, we had sort of like new and not inexpensive things for sale. And people right. were kind of bugged it, out by that. It wasn't a lot of uh, old military jackets. There were, there were thin ties and leather goods. And yeah, but that was, I feel like, well, when did it, okay. So the first one, I guess I always thought that it was in November or December so I guess the first one already, my memory is failing me is in June. And then you come back again that, that winter. Yeah. That, I think right. that's, it's not the only time we, we did multiple in a year, but I think we, Randy and I both recognize like June is good, but not, it's not holiday. And then when we had a little bit of traction, we were like, we should do this for a holiday. Cause it'll be better. So was the, was the holiday one that year in the same space? 
yeah, that was in the same space. And we added a few more vendors. So Rose Gallery shot. We Whoa. actually had J. Crew, um, which they just just made made in the US, I think. Michael, is that right? I think J. Crew was just J. Crew. Like they did a liquor shop thing. And then I think called Monaco did a just made in the US thing when they came, which was a few years later. Yeah. I mean, we had Jack Spade at this one as well, the hillside, the, the debut of the hillside at Papa. Wow. Um, you, gotta, you have to give J. Crew credit for doing it because that's a big company. And they they had to jump through like a million sort of bureaucratic hoops to make that work. I remember they needed like a phone line or something. Is that right? Yeah, it w- it was intense. I mean, you know, it's a big company, and we were we were nothing burger. You know, <laughs> um, Mr. Mort so- had a booth in that one. Um, nice. What what uh, what what was it? Was he doing uh, tarot readings or <laughs> basically? <laughs> no, he was he was selling ties. I think. Oh my God! He had some baseball Excellent. hats that he had embroidered, and I think some yarmulkes. Um, you know, <laughs> that, that like was he, that was he. Sorry, David. He was in the back. That was in the back room of Open House. That's yeah. the one I'm thinking that Warby was in. That was the next year, 2010. Wow! Because I don't think we have we don't have that because I looked in our sheet and I don't think we have that one in there. That's like everything that Maybe Warby erased it. You know, <laughs> they went in. I feel like it's like grailed, but in real space and at one tenth of the cost. I mean, a Mr. Mort Yamaka. Are you kidding me? That's like uh, that is grailed. So when did it? All right. So when did it feel like you? Obviously, all these people are participating. It's going really well. When did it kind of take the next step to being a thing with sponsors and you needed a bigger space? Was that the following year? Or when did it kind of, when did you need a, a bigger apartment, so to speak? So 2010, we were still in open house gallery. That was the the Warby year that Michael mentioned. Um, Grown and Stone, Riviera Club. That was our first year with LLB and Signature. Um, LVC Levi's vintage clothing was there that year, Stanley and son. So, you know, we were growing Telson Oak street bootmakers. Yeah. I remember that new brands that year. Uh, but then the following year is when we said, um, all right, let's, let's, let's make this thing a little bit bigger. Let's give ourselves some more room. Uh, the, the space, you know, we just outgrew our first apartment. (laughs) Amazing. So where was it that, that following year? Then I think we went to 82 Mercer, right? Was it not the, um, there, there was one year that we were on, uh, it might've been that year we were on, uh, Bleecker. Yeah. Bleecker street Bleecker, like in a weird spot. Yeah. That was kind of the forgotten strange year of Papa Flea. Um, <laughs> well, Mercer was huge. That was in two huge yeah, rooms. Mercer right? must've been after that. We yeah. must've gone to Bleecker. See, we just, we always had, and it's still, and I, I said this earlier, but it's still an issue. And this is, we can talk about it more when we get to it, but the space is always like the biggest issue with doing the thing because we need, we can't reserve these pop-up spaces really long in advance. So it's always got to be something that's, you know, sort of last minute. And then it's, everything's dependent on the space in terms of how many brands we can get, where we can put them just communicating anything, you know? So what do you mean? Like last minute, like a month before or less I mean, than that? Everything we did was so last minute with this. Yeah. So these brands agree to do it. Warby Parker or whomever agrees to do it and they don't know where it is. 
I mean, this was Warby Parker before it was Warby Parker, right? This was 2010. They had a folding table and maybe a sign and some glasses. That was that was it. 2011 was that year on Bleecker Street. That year, LL Bean pulled up in a giant truck, pulled a fully built out backdrop slash store out of a giant truck, pulled it into the store, and all these other brands are looking at it. And they looked at each other. And I think that's when Michael and I knew that the next year, every everyone who was there was going to bring their like booth game to the next level, which would help uh, the whole event. And, I but, think, and we, we encouraged it too. I think when we saw that, then it became, it was good for the event. So then we would encourage everyone to, you know, it's like, you need to really like, do a good job with your booth and merchandise it really interestingly mm. and promote it. And that's when we started to get to like the critical mass bit of it. Right. It's, it's funny the way you're talking about these things, like Randy said, it's a, you promote it and it's kind of a history of what the media was at the time. And in a way there's also the history of what kind of brands sponsored it at the time. Cause I feel like going back to grant, uh, to, uh, Mulberry street, maybe, Pabst Blue Ribbon was there one year. Is that possible? Or is that just my imagination? Like when they were, prom- oh, maybe, when they were maybe. everywhere, I feel like we were all standing outside drinking. I it, think, it, but, but that, and then I, I know one year we did, um, because through Michael's connections, I think, uh, didn't we drink that Irish Bushmills? I think too, one year. The first, I think the first liquor beer sponsor we have was Yingling. Oh, Yingling. All right. So that was exactly because they were very much participating in that sort of thing. And then no, but Yingling, like they were, they weren't actually like, I don't think in the mix, like it wasn't like we went through usually the way those things happen is like Cornerstone or like some marketing agency, you know, or like some, it's usually like music people where it's like our music friends are like, Oh yeah, here's the rep for Topo Chico, you know, and we'll float you. (laughs) <laughs> whatever. But this was like, I don't know how we got to them. I remember someone introduced us and then we talked to them at the, in wherever they're in Pennsylvania. And they're like, yeah, we'll send you beer. Like, and we're like, I can't right. believe they are just sending us beer. This is amazing. And somehow you were in Microsoft surface. What was the, that was around that time too. It seems, what was that Randy? Would you remember that? Yeah, was, of course I remember later. that. This is when we decided <laughs> to sell out as much as we could. <laughs> okay, wait, <laughs> so that's possible. So when, did, so when did the sellout happen? Well, Let's okay, see. so we're on Bleecker Street, and then the next year we're, we're, we're getting enough brands together that we liked that we knew we had to move again. So we went to Drive-In Studios, which is on the west side of Manhattan. And we were worried about this this one because we said, is anybody, there's no foot traffic there. And it was so well attended that we thought, okay, as long as it's somewhere within a reason, people will come. Even though every Friday, first Friday of every pop-up flea, we'd look at each other and go, nobody's going to come. We're, we're ruined, you know, like, right. but it was always fine. So that one at drive-in was the first one where we had like a legitimate sponsor. Levi's installed an art exhibition on the second floor of that. We had a party in the space. It felt like a real event from what it started as some folding tables uh, right. and uh, a busted ATM on Mulberry Street. <laughs> and yeah, and Microsoft was a sponsor there. They had a, a thing upstairs and they, I think they, did they sponsor the party on Friday night? Yeah. We would, kind of, we would kind of always have a kickoff party on Friday. And that was like leading up to that was the moment where Capsule was a thing. Going to all these things was, you know, there it was like a big networking sort of, you know, 
there was a lot of camaraderie around going to these things and it felt unique and special. So Friday was always like a big party. I remember like always trying to sneak out of those things and just like, it was just all so stressful. And those are like the longest days. And like the last thing you want to do is like, I don't know. It, it always felt like I was at work. You know? It's so funny as, as a friend of yours, I, I'm the first one seemed to be, they were so much smaller and it was a chance to see you guys and our friends. And it was very social. And I remember later on when I went, I would, go there and you were both surrounded by people like the fathers of the bride at a wedding. And I, I said, I love these guys. I don't, I can maybe speak to them for five seconds. And I didn't, cause you had to talk to important, you know, important people who were coming to talk to you, all the rest of it. And you were always surrounded. There was a line to get to you and you were kind of working. Uh, Randy would be kind of sipping some chai latte or whatever. And, and, and Michael looks a little <laughs> bit unwilling to do this. And I thought, Oh my God, this thing is so big that you can't even, I, I just, you know, wave and let, let you guys get down to it. But that was kind of a sign of the success of it. How, how many people, how, 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 in fact, I didn't know anybody there compared to the earlier time when we knew, it seemed like we knew everybody there. Just drop the chai latte on me. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Well, then you had <laughs> fancy food and whatever. That was part of a, and at some point it was always nice to follow because I knew you guys, the, the kind of identity of each year would have, would have, and the list would come out and there would be some funny phrases that you came up with. And, and, and it was, and, and it, we looked forward to different parts of it as, as the audience of it. I think, I think that all killer, no filler, right? <laughs> all that, all that humor was a lot of it was Randy. Randy had, he just like has always such a good sense of humor with like, I don't know if we were doing something, it was like, let's just, let's do something silly and, you know, kind of ridiculous. And, uh, and I liked it too. And so it was always like, that was the fun part where we'd be like, all right, let's do like, what's the vinyl graphics that we can do. And like, how can we sort of hook fun or needle or be self-deprecating or be ridiculous, you know? And that was, that was a lot of fun. I mean, we would plan it, you know, just going, going, rewinding a little bit a lot of this was done at like Balthazar. We would meet for breakfast at Balthazar and like talk through what we were going to do, what we needed to do for the week. You know, it wasn't like we worked, we didn't work on this like year round. We would kind of touch base leading up to, you know, it would become more frequent as we got closer and, and then we would, you know, eventually it'd be like, okay, we would both be like, Oh my God, this thing is in like a week. I haven't done X, Y, and Z, you know, it's like, and we never like hired staff or had any customer service support or, you know, it would be like, we would just be totally just winging it. And, and, and I think, you know, to Randy's one every Friday, we're like, is anyone going to show up? Legitimate fear with, with us. We both would have, we'd have to pull each other aside and we were the only people we could talk to about it. Where we'd be yeah. like, Randy, I, I just don't think anyone's going to come. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really freaking out. And Randy would be like, dude, it's fine. Everyone's going to come. Everyone always comes. Don't worry. And then like an hour later, Randy would come to me and be like, dude, I don't think anyone's going to come. <laughs> and I'd be like, no, no, it's fine. We're fine. It'll be fine. It's fine. Right. Um, but you never charged. That was a key key to it. It was always, it was always free. We always wanted to, but we never did. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't have the stones yeah, to charge. Some stack. <laughs> feel like you should pay to come into a shopping event. I don't know. Yeah. We wanted people to spend ever. their money with the, with those, with the vendors and the brands that we love. I mean, that was a very tight knit community as it started to build over the years. Right. 
a lot of those people are still friends. A lot of interesting things happened and collaborations and there was just a great spirit to it. And people looked forward to it. And it got to the point where certain brands planned around it for the year. And, you know, even if we were behind in the planning, they knew that it was going to generally be, uh, you know, sometime in early December and that they would come to New York and they could count on, you know, some years, 15 or 20,000 people coming to shop at mostly a men's focused event, um, which was a pretty neat trick. And I'll put a lot of that to Michael's ability to, to, to get the word out in like the smartest, least offensive way possible that you can do for, for an event or a brand. That's why he's great at what he does. I think 15 or 20,000. Yeah. Nice. I mean, mean, was there something that, that felt like I can't believe this is happening that somebody was involved or somebody showed up or some brand was there or two people were talking that you couldn't believe from different worlds. Was there some moment where you, where you just, reveled in it or, or couldn't believe it got to a certain point. Maybe that was when you were doing Microsoft surface ads. <laughs> hey, take it easy on Microsoft, you know, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm they're, sure we they're all nice, still they're nice people in Redmond. But I mean, when they, when they got in touch with you and said, we want to uh, be a presenting sponsor or whatever the hell it was called. They, they, they were cool. They were cool. They were really nice people. It was honestly, I'm not just saying that because they paid us money. Uh, they were good people. And we, they came through the cornerstone and the mm. people there were great and they were good partners of ours. And look, it's like, if that, ina- all those sponsors, I mean, it, un- it was underwriting events, but it was enabling all these little companies to be sure. able to come there and no, sell I- a bunch of stuff. So we were like, look, the, you know, it's like a little corporate, you know, it's not like it was like Marlboro. You know? No, no. I, I, I meant more like didn't didn't one year someone say that like Meg Ryan walked in? I don't know if that was the sort of thing that maybe someone made that yeah. up or look, but just something where you're like, this isn't just uh, you know our fr- you know Chris Bray. Yeah, Tom Hanks. Tom and- Hanks got COVID at one. <laughs> that happened. It, it was yeah, that, that was zero. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think one year we looked outside on that on a Friday on a cold Friday might have been the Mercer event and there were maybe 200 people standing outside waiting for us to open That's the incredible. doors. And we we're like, wow, okay, this is, this is pretty interesting. And it, you know, it grew. I mean, we had American express one year as well and nice. built like a whole cafe. And then we, then we took the show on the road too. I was going to say, so it wasn't just there. I have to say that I actually worked uh, the Freeman sporting club booth at Mercer street. Um, what was that? 2012, maybe 20. And, uh, and we were giving people shaves. We were selling stuff. Matt Rannick was there selling William Brown project. I mean, that is a, a lifetime ago. 2013. Um, 13. And, Matt was at, uh, Matt was at, uh, at, uh the one in Chelsea and he was also there, but he was, he was definitely on Mercer. And I know because I went over to look at how much everything costs and I couldn't believe um, he was selling barber jackets for that much, but that's a separate. <laughs> company. So then, so then you took it on the road. So where did you go from there? Randy? Uh, yeah. So I, the first stop I think was, was Japan. Is that right? <laughs> I mean, we, no, we went to London first. Oh, right. L- London. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's, where, that's where the mo- that's where the the London pop up fleet tote bag. That's the one that's really up there on on Grail. Hard hard to come by. <laughs> Good luck finding that. Yeah. So so what? So where was the one in London? The first year we did London, we did it. We actually got a space on Regent Street, which. When I say it now, that sounds absurd. It's like the one of the most expensive streets, uh, you know, high streets in all of London. 
we, I, we, we did a partnership for the space. No, it was um, on Piccadilly. Was it on Piccadilly? Yeah. Still <laughs> also <laughs> regions <laughs> one, one street up equally, equally fancy. Oh, right. Piccadilly and then, and, uh, German street behind it. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. I believe it's like an uh, Arcteric store now, actually. This yeah. It, we the crown there. estate, the crown estate had reached out to us. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so was it, so it was English brands then, or did Amer- American brands come over? Uh, I mean, we mostly, <laughs> that, that event, uh, I think was successful. It must've been because we did another one in London after that. And I don't know. I have a few memories from that, of that specific event. One is um, the man we worked with and I will disparage um, him on this, on this podcast. No, I, I won't name him, but I think he was, he, he understood what we were trying to do with pop up fleet and he was into it very much. And then I think with, he's within this big organization. So then he has to like sell this in to the org and they're like, okay, we're giving you a chance on this. And, and I think like it was always sort of touch and go over there if they were going to sort of let him do it. And that left us like in this position of non-committal and very difficult to plan this sort of international event with like a space and a person that was, I mean, our partner there and we couldn't get any answers for anything. It was, it was really difficult and frustrating. And, and I think it was just a small event. We didn't have much space there. I mean, yeah, I mean the London event, it's, it was a, it was a bit of a planning disaster, but the event really worked out well and people seemed to like it. And you had a, a very bizarre mix of people coming through, you know, when you're in central London, like, that. um, uh, I think we just enjoyed being there and trying to like bring a bit of a motley crew to London to get together. And then, yeah. you know, you go out for drinks after an event like that. It's always a, a great feeling. I mean, you know, people are selling things. So the businesses are, are generally happy. Everyone's kind of happy to be there. There's usually someone who's from there showing us around where they want to take us. You know, it just ends up being a nice excuse to be in London in a different way. Mm. Mm. I think think we should have learned that being somewhere with a lot of foot traffic is a good thing when you don't have much draw. And we kind of didn't take that lesson. And we thought, oh, you know, it was always, again, like, where should we place this event? You know, where should, where should it be in that? Like in, that changed, I think a lot of things when we went back to London. Um, well, let's talk Tokyo now. I mean, now if it's one thing planning something in London, which seems like it's hard and it's another to plan something in Tokyo, <laughs> how, how did you guys, how did you guys arrange that? Or was the idea just as long as this kind of, it's sort of the good, good experience, break even mentality. If we just get out there, out of there intact, we can all be in Tokyo and what could, what possibly could go wrong? I think it was more of column B. I mean, <laughs> we, we, you know, London had been great. We, we had started the idea of maybe expanding. We had really good creative talent that we worked with in London. Um, this guy's called the bread collective. And then we had our friend JP Williams was involved with mm. all the art. Like we had mm. built up a team to, to handle some of like the pieces of the planning that were, that were, were difficult. And we started to think like, all right, let's, what if this got a little bit bigger? I certainly, I suddenly was, had a little bit more free time um, after I was like out at Urban Daddy and camped. And um, we just started to think, what if we did, you know, five events in a year? 
which, you know, was uh, a lot, you know, it was still, I think, a, 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 a big lift without really any infrastructure, you know? So, so you go, go there. I was there for one of them. I mean, we can't, it's a, we're continuing our streak of talking about Japan on this podcast. <laughs> People thought they were safe, but they didn't, but that it was, it was, um, I, I think something about you know, now there's kind of a, a pop-up culture in, uh, um, at least in New York, there's so many um, spaces that have temporary, that was kind of unknown though, when you did it, it seemed to me in Tokyo, nothing seems strange, at least as an American being there. So it just felt like another the sort of thing you would not, I don't want to say expect to find there, but it didn't seem that radical. Did it seem radical to you, Michael? Uh, no, it didn't seem radical. I think we see, you know, I think every foreign country that we went to, we seemed to under, uh, maybe not underappreciate, but fail to understand the local shopping culture, sure. <laughs> I think is, is, uh, is a big part of it. We, we put together a seemingly like a seemingly successful event, but it was difficult because I think there are a lot of factors we just didn't understand. And I think, you know, I think we, we were sort of buoyed by our success other places and thought it wasn't arrogance, but I think we thought, Oh, this, you know, people will get it. Yeah. You know, but it translates. It, yeah. It, it, it didn't, it didn't translate, I think as well as maybe it could have, but it was still fun. I think Japan events were successful. They were, some of them were like some of the most sort of visually interesting, I think that we had ever put together. And it was, I mean, it was wild to go out there and do it. Wild. The second one, I, I had like the worst cold of my life the whole trip, and it was oh, man. so terrible. I just but wanted to die the whole time. He was in a dark place. I mean, <laughs> just for the people who, who weren't there, Randy, for the people who weren't in, there in Tokyo who may have experienced it in New York, it, it had a different feeling. Can you kind of describe the what it was like in, in Tokyo for people who didn't see it? Yeah, I mean, what we tried to do was something very similar, but what ended up like Michael alluded to this, but I, I think shopping habits in Japan are a little different. People tend to take a little bit more time. And yeah. we had moved on primarily to, you know, promoting events via Instagram or online. And, you know, print was still a huge factor in drawing people to a, a, an event like this in Japan as well. And we were trying to put this together from New York with a time difference and a team of a couple people in Japan who were working basically just to help us out because they believed in it. And, uh, it ended up being like, we pulled it together. We had an amazing like person hand painting signs on the window and all the booth setups were beautiful. I, I think the brands who were in Japan and built a booth there were much more committed to creating a special little world for people to come into. And the American brands were very happy to be there and most of them were also visiting their distributors or had a, a second purpose of the trip, which took a little bit of the pressure off of us. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was, it was in an art gallery, uh, in Omotosando the first year. And then we ha actually got a space on cat street, um, which is just massive shopping street in Tokyo. If you're not familiar, the second year, which does, if you go there now, there's always some sort of tech ex exposition or something going on in that space now. 
but they still maintain Microsoft that. Surface. Yeah, mostly <laughs> Microsoft Surface, really. Uh, but it were very. It was still like a very like homemade feeling to a lot of the approach to the events, and you know, I, I think just the attempt to pull it off was an was it, it, you would see you know people walking by and come in and just it, it felt a little new and interesting, or it was a curiosity of what we were doing, and I think you would see a lot of people who came back every day, you know, mm. just try and figure it out a little bit more. So I'm not sure, sure we explained what we were doing very well, but right. it looked beautiful. Right. We got a lot of brands that there was like Freeman Sporting Club. A lot of the brands that had been at pop-up fleet events in New York, then we got, you know, Filson, Red Wing. We got a lot of, it was, it was sort of, we got a lot of those bigger brands to tell their sort of partners in Japan, like, hey, you should do this, or they paid for it or, Mm. So like some of it came through the U S business and then people like Tanner goods and Cal Rancord and some other brands came on their own. And so we had one, the, the art gallery event that we did in Japan was probably like the sort of best curated group. I wouldn't say it's like the best event. Cause I think either, um, Metropolitan Pavilion, one of those events, or like 82 Mercer was probably the pinnacle events for us and just in terms of brands and turnout. But the Japan events felt like really nice. And I mean, those the people that Brandy was saying were helping us just for the love of the game, like did so much stuff for us, <laughs> you know, when they didn't need to. And they just were so kind to us, which was nice. Hmm. So it's just, we think a little bit how it evolved and you guys have other things that you're doing in your lives, obviously. So was the last one on eighth street on during a snowstorm? A few, yeah, that's few right. Years ago? Actually. That's right. Yeah. So we had, we'd gone big, I guess we went to Metropolitan Pavilion, which was a massive size event, 30,000 square feet. And then the armory, um, which was un- unfortunately big, I would say. Oh, the armory, um, sure. Right. Then we, we the Lex armory. Yeah, Lex, yeah. not the uptown. So, one. so then you did an acoustic show on Eighth Street. <laughs> That's right. Which is a beautiful <laughs> space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, ne- right next to the Marlton. That w- that was a just beautiful space. Perfect, perfect spot. <laughs> yeah, I think at that point we were just, um, you know, really happy to bring the the event back to some of the original feeling and um i i think there was a little less pressure since it, it didn't have that huge space that you had to explore and there wasn't a map on the wall which we had had to have at some of our <laughs> other events um so it felt a, a little bit more original and all the brands really liked having the smaller event the ones who came along for the ride with us so Felt like a successful event. Yeah, I remember it. It's funny because there was a, it was a huge storm came through, and um, I was actually supposed to fly somewhere. The airports shut. Uh, it was like a hurricane came all the way up the east east coast, and it was it was very dramatic and beautiful. Um, now that just thinking about how retail has evolved. And like we said, there was no Instagram when you started and uh, there was no Amazon fashion or all sorts of other things. I mean, what, what do we, what do we, what lessons do we take from, from looking back at 
uh, 10 years of the pop-up flea? I mean, or, or where we are now, what, what do you think when you, are people missing personal connection with brands or is that, is it absurd to think that people need that anymore because they can see so much? What, what where, do, where do you think we are right now, Randy? Or how do you, what moral do we take from the arc of the pop-up flea if there is a moral to be taken? Yeah, I don't know if it's a moral so much, you know, for us, it's interesting to look back on how it grew and then where we left it. And I don't think we ever said, you know, this is it. You know, I feel like we've left the door open to do this again. And the idea that of getting together uh, in a in a space to, to go shopping, like an event, it feels so foreign with the moment that we're in. But there, there seems something almost quaint about it in a way that I think people would appreciate it. And you can do it the right way and feel like it would be an appreciated thing at this point, something that people would go to and attend, you know, once the world reopens. Hmm. That's great. Do you have any thoughts about kind of the arc of it, Michael, looking back? You know, I think initially we, it worked because there wasn't a lot of discovery in the world and we could provide a real dose of discovery to people. And I think they could say, Oh, this is, wouldn't have known about this if it weren't for this event. Mm. And it, the way, you know, we sort of, the timing of when we're doing this podcast and when we did the event, it was always sort of the first weekend in December. It was the kind of first weekend after Thanksgiving. It wasn't like directly after, but usually we placed it like, just following Thanksgiving and uh, it was sort of beginning of the holiday season. We played around with dates, you know, to varying degrees of success. And, um, but I think people would come and discover things and that was a big driver. Eventually we thought, well, now, every, you know, everyone knows about everything because of Instagram. It's, it would, it was increasingly more difficult to deliver that discovery to people. And I think we lost a little bit of pop, you know, just uh, based on that. But I think that to Randy's point, it's like, you can't ever, even now, it's like, I look at Black Friday, it's like starting, it's already starting. Everything's like, you know, I think because of shipping and overwhelming, like shipping, Amazon's trying to get everything further, you know, it's encroaching pre Thanksgiving now. And so I think, you know, even, even with all that, like people now are thinking, well, it would be probably good to support a small restaurant or a small brand or buy something directly, you know, not, it's like, I think of our restaurants a lot right now because it's, it's so much better to just buy something ordered from a restaurant than it is to order through Postmates or whatever, because, right. you know, they don't lose all the split. And, and, you know, in that, with that in mind, it's like if people could go to a shopping event and buy directly from Billy Kirk and talk to Chris, mm-hmm. you know, they probably never get away from him because they can talk to Kirk either way. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would recommend talking to Kirk. Um, I would wave to Chris, but I would we, mostly talk to Kirk. This is why we, we bury references to our friends at the last minute of the podcast <laughs> to see if they've made it through. They don't, the I, know, I know they don't pay. So only if we make this free, will they ever hear that? That's good. Um, well, uh, it's funny. You, you also made merch just before we wrap up here. I mean, when, when did you start the need to or feel the need or just decide to make fleet, uh, tote bags and everything else? We kind of always made tote bags. I mean, we made them very early. I feel like Randy. Yeah. It, tote bag is sort of a New York staple item and we felt like if you have an event or a store or almost anything in new york and you don't have a tote bag 
in the tree fall. It didn't have a tote bag. It didn't exist. Yeah, exactly. So we needed a tote bag and we got smart a, a couple of years in and started having someone sponsor the tote bag so we could have them as shopping bags to give out to the vendors. And then we would see them occasionally on the subway or somebody would send me a picture of a pop-up fleet tote bag. You asked before when we was realized when we made it, I guess that was the moment. <laughs> so good. We would it's always good. make those totes in like Vermont at like, I remember the lady's name, Linka. Um, I still talk to her, Michael. I've used <laughs> her to make totes for Bombas. That's so funny. I love it. I, lo- I love the idea of actually seeing it, like a person who got the tote bag from their child. Like if the grandmother of the person was carrying the tote bag in another place, like then you've really made it that they haven't gotten rid of it. Um, well, thanks a lot, lads. Um, this was a great, great trip down um, uh, memory lane of, uh, of the impo- important thing. I, d- I feel like it was such, that was just as I was getting to know you, Randy, when I saw you there, I don't know if I knew you that well. And I was so impressed um, by that, that you guys kind of, that you did it, you know, like, like that it was, it, it, it seems like an inevitable idea, but that you did it and had, it had personality to it, which I think made it, made it special from the beginning and why people were always rooting for it. So it's nice to talk about it. And maybe, maybe it comes back, you know, it's like curb your enthusiasm. Yeah. Was, he said, never cancel, never have a f- season finale. You can always come back and do it later. You can wait six <laughs> years and do it. So That's right. maybe that will happen. We looked at it last year with Matt Hrannick. We looked at, or yeah, last year we seriously did. We looked at it. We got close. We didn't end up, the economics of the space didn't work out, but uh, I mean, we, we, we almost did it. And I think if anyone out there listening has a good space and they wanted to do it, right. we would probably do it again. We really Short-term shop for long-term goods. Right? Uh, sounds great. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible how much this space, when I got to know you guys, like was such a huge deal. Like, we don't know if we have the space or no, we've got this space. It's, it's was just, it was um, highly, the, highly the Met pavilion space was like 30 grand a day or something. I mean, it's like New York city mm-hmm. rent. And then, then it would become really expensive and everyone, you know, would be, I wouldn't say mad, but concerned about that. And Randy, is there any, before we go, I don't want to just let Dave run the show here. No, I'm, sorry. I'm a co-host of this podcast too. I can ask <laughs> some questions. Um, I love is there when any, you assert yourself on this podcast, Michael. <laughs> my even, though, even though I only get 20% of the airtime, you know, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question if I, no, let's talk about weird things that happened at Papa Flea. Yeah. Do you remember any weird things? I just remember everyone being weird to me. That's I mean, every year somebody would come up to you while we were standing in the corner talking about something that was inevitably going wrong or like there was still tape on the floor. We didn't take off the tape from where the booths were laid out and someone would come up to you and be like, I don't excuse me. Are you you Michael Williams? And it was just always in the most stalkeriest tones. That was my favorite, favorite every year. It was one to three people I got to witness and it was probably more. I mean, there was that truck incident um, with Brian. (laughs) Remember that, Michael? Um, Yeah, there was a, we had a, I guess it was an issue with loading out. We would like, because we were so cheap, David, I, we'll just talk a little bit more and then I can tell. Oh, David. great. I, I, this is um, the best. It should, he does, we can put the bonus track. The, yeah, exactly. We can put this after the credits. Um, <laughs> there was, we were so cheap. We would never rent Thursday or Monday. So, <laughs> and it wasn't, I think we were being cost conscious really because, you know, passing yeah. along the savings to the brands, but 
everyone have to load in like in a mad da- in mad rush. And then Sunday night was like a nightmare. Everyone wanted to get out of there. Oh. And, uh, and so everyone would be trying to like load out all at the same time. And there was like basically a fisticuffs one year around like the loading dock or something. I don't know. I wasn't, I just heard, one of the brands come in and like scream at everyone, you know, someone just came in and just was screaming at their top of their lungs after like a week, everyone was unloading. It was just a wild, it sounded like someone was about to get shot. It was crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, there was always like something weird. We had a, a big issue when we went to Austin, Texas, <laughs> Um, our, we, our should mention Jamie, we should mention yeah. Jamie, you know, so Jamie Apostolou, uh, was our, I don't even know, third leg of the stool, I think is how Jamie describes his role in Papa Flea. And, uh, at a certain point he, we, we sort of deferred operational execution to Jamie and, uh, and he was, he was better at that than we were way better. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie was way better at that. But that meant like, so we went to Texas, which was the least successful event we have ever done. By far. Yeah. By leaps and bounds. <laughs> it was horrible. Uh, and he went ahead and basically we paid and overpaid to rent this raw space on South Congress, which is now like a Madewell store or something, right? Something. Um, and J- it was so bad and gross. And Jamie went down there and was like hiring day laborers <laughs> to like paint it for a week. Amazing. And it was nuts. And just no one came to that event. Yeah. I mean, there was always, I mean, we went to London to scout the first event and like basically signed a deal and went back. We're not going to London every week. To do, we went once and then the space fell through. Like, there's always something like that that would happen. Or I don't know. I mean, we would run out of cash in the ATM or somebody would get in a fight or something would get stolen. I don't know. I mean, there was, there was usually somebody who showed up. There was always at least 10 people who showed up just to like in a weird outfit to try and be seen at the pop-up flea by a certain crowd. Uh, and it was embarrassing for, for them, but mostly for us, you know, like just to see someone in like a full Buffalo check, like yeah. onesie coming yeah. to the event, you know, like in the height of the lumberjack era of menswear. Yeah. If uh, people are listening to this, please, if you have any pop-up flea photos buried in your iPhone, put them in the <laughs> comment section. We'll, uh, or, it'll be great to see them. Or post this on, post it on stories and tag us. Um, <laughs> you know, just, I'll, and we can close with this. The one year that we, one of the years at Metropolitan Pavilion when Matt Rannick had like his yard sale operation going, which we invited him to do. Um, we had at the end, we had like an awards and we gave out oh, like right. all these awards to everyone. We had, it was fun. Everyone was like trying to un, like pack up and get out of there, but then every, they were all standing around. And so this was like at the point where we had 80 brands there. So there are just a lot of people, 150 people or so at least. And we did this awards and it was a lot of fun. And it was very much like Randy and my personality and how we would do this. And we were sort of having a, you know, having a laugh at, at everyone, but, and it was fun. And, and I just remember like, if there's like one sort of big memory from all of it, it was Mm. like that day that we, like, we had that big laugh and we kind of felt like we were the mayors a little bit of that little town, you know, for the (laughs) weekend. And, And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was always just an amazing time. I mean, it was a good group of people who cared about what they did and why the things that they 
what, why the things that they made existed in the world and would come together for a weekend. And, you know, it, I remember those, those times more than I remember the sales or whatever it was, but, you know, cause it was just a great group of people. And, um, you know, it was all, always looked forward to it despite the craziness of the planning and like, you know, biting off probably more than we could chew. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks lads. Yeah, it was fun. Appreciate it. Take care. Andy. Thanks guys. Bye Michael.